Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. All right. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Get on inside the China shop. We're opening up for a super duper amazing roundtable trading special. I'm shopkeeper Dan. With me, as always, is the inimitable Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. Kyle, how you doing tonight? I I think I might be the most sober person in this room. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's true. It's true. We are joined today by Flary and uh, Joel MC. How are you gentlemen doing today? Talk at the same time, please. Doing well. Doing well. <laughs> also good. That's the editor and Dan. <laughs> uh, I just hope all the prequel stuff was in here and that you cut and that you recorded some of that. Only like six seconds of it. <laughs> you didn't get much. Yeah, only enough of you saying, "God damn it, stop! Don't fucking record, Dan. Turn the fucking mic off." <laughs> I think that's all I got, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> hey guys, uh, since this is our first uh, go round of the roundtable, we don't really have a theme song yet. So I thought it'd be a great way to start off by uh, having each of you try and uh, improv a song for us right now. We'll just all do it together. Yeah. Well, yeah, everybody. Uh, do yeah, we know the yeah. words? Or are we just. Uh, you're making them up? Yeah. Dan, yeah. you lay the beat. Wait, I, I got it. I got it. Round table, square trader. Round table, square trader. Talking about some trades. Talking about some trades. Set up expectancy. Winners and losers. And probably not going to use mine because I'm not really going along. And that's why we leave that to Dan. This is going to run for two years at least. And that's going to be the theme song. Yeah. 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 No, no practice, dear listeners, folks at home. That was a hundred percent improv here in the shop. Cause that's what we do here. It's just magic. Just a magical good time. But Kyle, why don't you tell everybody what, what's what's going on here in this here shop tonight? So uh, it's basically uh, just going to – we're giving Joel a chance here to, to bend the ear of Flary, an experienced and successful trader. And we're just going to kind of let him ask away. Uh, we'll oh. be here to kind of help out, ask follow-up questions or anything that maybe we have to contribute, but it probably won't be much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe some color commentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope that you're going to carry it. I'll set him up and Flurry can knock him down. All right. Well, you want to tell us a little bit yeah. about yourself, Joel, like how long you've been trading, um, what kind of successes you're finding, struggles. Yeah, how, how you got here. Yeah. So I started with options in 2018. I took on futures in September of 2020. I am still in very much the growth stage. Pretty busy at work, so I usually spend anywhere from one to 10 hours a week on the charts. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm looking for is um, some consistency. I've learned a lot of things not to do. Fortunately, it hasn't costed me all of my money. <laughs> um, so yeah. 
I've kind of gotten on a path in the last, I don't know, three, four months, especially since the Back to the Futures. Kyle and I meet up every morning and chat about what we have going for the day. And sometimes other people join us, sometimes they don't, but that's been a huge, a huge game changer. And so as I learn more about this way, I would say that I'm definitely seeing progress. Yes. Now, if we can hurry to answer all of my questions, I'll be <laughs> ready. <laughs> be profitable. Yeah, I just yes. want to say real quick, you know, I've joined a few of those sessions that you guys do in the morning. And, you know, I know I hear you say that you're busy with other things and, and trying to allocate as much time as you can to trading. But um, those sessions that you guys are putting in, that time is indispensable. And it's it's just a really cool thing to see two people uh, join in there every morning, be committed to writing levels and creating a plan. And that kind of work is, is definitely going to pay off uh, in the long run. So I just really appreciate when you guys do that. And uh, I like when I, when I catch it and I can join you guys there for that. So kudos to you guys for that. Oh, yeah. The funny thing is it gets easier the longer you do it. Like it probably only takes us about five or 10 minutes of looking at the charts to like know where like the significant levels are. Cause you're really just adjusting the ones from the previous day. So almost like you're building a process, huh? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the time gets spent exactly. joking, uh, joking around. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about things that aren't trading while we're right. doing our level in the background. All right, Joel, you've wasted five minutes of your flurry's time. Uh, now, do you want to try to, to ask something important? <laughs> I'm starting <laughs> off hard. <laughs> yes. So, most of my questions are kind of based around process and backtesting. That's kind of the stage that I'm at right now where I've been very neglectful of it. And so I think backtesting is probably the best use of my time since I don't have a lot of screen time. I can do a lot of trades quick if I learn how to backtest. Mm-hmm. But the thing with learning how to backtest is I need to know how to do that efficiently too so that I'm not just taking charts on a pre- or taking trades on a previous chart instead of taking trades on a live chart. So when you are developing a strategy or a setup, what stats or metrics do you track and what value does each one add whenever you're testing? So say you wanted to do, you call it line in the sand to right flurry? Yeah, I definitely, yeah, I try to have a line in the sand each day. And so when you wanted to develop, if that works, what sort of things would you track? to know if that's actually going to be a viable trading setup. Well, I think to back up just like a second from that versus like it's the line in the sand and calling that uh, a setup, which is sort of a setup in a way. But um, at the end of the day, it's expectancy, right? Like if, if this particular trade doesn't have a positive expectancy, it doesn't matter how diligent or how patient or uh, all of the other uh, platitudes that you can come up with there. Like it, it, it doesn't matter if it doesn't have a positive expectancy. So if your plan is bad, it's it's going to be bad even if you execute on it well in the long run. If your curve is going down into the right versus up into the right, um, you know it's going to be obviously a long term problem. The law of large numbers will eventually catch up, and yeah, you might hit an upswing, uh, but eventually you're going to have a bad plan sort of like reach that expectancy uh, over a long period of trade. So I think the biggest piece there is. Does it have a positive expectancy? Because uh, yes, win rate is a factor of that. And I think that's one of the components that I would always be looking at is what is my win rate on this particular setup? If we're going to talk about one, Um, and then what is my average win and what is my average loss? 
And so from that, you can develop whether or not this trade idea has a positive expectancy and some version of a positive expectancy, whether it's a slight slope up and to the right or a dramatic slope up to the right, if you have a really good trade idea or trade thesis and you've backtested it, um, is, is sort of at the core of what you would really want to be looking at. And so those two components and how you can kind of factor those together, like my average win and my average loss when I take this trade, which uh, assuming that you have an average loss that's based upon a stop loss, and we can dive into some of this as a follow-up question, but you know your average loss should really be based upon some version of backtesting as well. Uh, you don't need to give every trade 20-point stop in NQ if that setup on average performs well with uh, 10 points of MFE, um, or MA, I'm sorry. But uh, you know, knowing that, and then what, is the actual win rate of that trade will tell you what your expectancy is. So, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of charts out there, but the very simple one uh, would be like, you know, if you're winning like 33% of the time, you need to have like a two to one uh, win to uh, like average dollars, one to average dollars, a loss ratio to even be sort of break even, give or take a buck or two. Um, and so I think that's like at the core, if you're looking at back testing a strategy is okay. I've got this strategy and I'm going to run it and here's my stop loss on that strategy. And so that stop loss would, I would hope, uh, determine what your average loss is and it should stay relatively <laughs> close to that. Um, but let's be real, right? Like it, it's, it's not right. always that, right? Like it's not always that. So um, I think that's important to, to factor in, right? Like we're humans and sometimes you're going to move your stop. And so like it, you sort of need to factor that into a strategy, right? Like if you move your stop 10% of the time, that needs to be part of the metric, like of like you, whether you made that decision irrationally or rationally, it needs to be part of the metric of your average dollars lost. Your average dollars won just as important. If you're taking profit early uh, versus getting to the target that you believe is your target for that setup uh, or the expectancy for that setup from like a points perspective, like how far the trade's going to go, again, all these things factor. And so I think that's important to know, like average dollars won, average dollars lost. And then what is my win rate? when I do my best to follow this, you know, setup. And so the easiest way to do that is put a bracket on something and then just sort of test it. But um, that would be sort of the first piece, right? Like, uh, is, is this trade a positive expectancy? And then just kind of running those two uh, factors into that. Like, here's my win rate. Here's my dollars won. Here's my dollars lost. Does this work in the long run? So obviously, if you're at a two to one uh, risk to reward and you're only winning 10% of the time, that's just not going to work, right? Like it doesn't matter right. how good of a run you go on, that good run is always going to be met in the long run in the law of large numbers by you being bust, basically. So I think, you know, that's sort of like at the core of uh, what you're asking there. Absolutely. Perfect. And so then if you are, you said that you would include all of those times where you move your stop where it's not precise. And so would you include that if you're doing backtesting as well or when you're backtesting because you're just trying to find the viability of it, whether or not it will be profitable? Would you include those or would you just include the ones that are not maybe a picture perfect setup? but meet every single metric precisely? Yeah, good question. Uh, so two totally different things, really. Like, right. is the true expectancy of this setup profitable or is the actual expectancy of this setup profitable? Because, uh, you know, I mean, the reality of it is, like, you still have to click the button. Even if you see the setup develop, 
and you click the button a little bit late and maybe because you clicked it late, you make some decisions to move a stop or take profit early and all those things. There's the actual expectancy of how you perform in, in that, which is sort of like, I think how you would gauge yourself on whether or not like this setup is, is viable for you and your personality and your discipline um, versus the back test, which would be more how to refine the strategy. So if I was looking at a specific strategy and let's just take like uh, something simple, like pulling into like a trap traders type setup. Uh, if I okay. pull into a trap trader setup and typically uh, that trap trader setup works in my back test and uh, like when you first start to do a back test, maybe you give it, uh, I'll use NQ as an example. Maybe you give it a 20 point stop, right? Yep. It should be more than enough. And you give it a two to one take profit. Uh, so, you know, you're doing a 20 point stop and a 40 point take profit. And over the run of all of that, that still has a positive expectancy. So uh, your average dollars won uh, and your average dollars lost versus the win rate of how many times you went back and whether you're manually doing or automatically doing that, if you can write some code, uh, it, it has a positive expectancy. Well, the next step would be okay, well, if it works with the 20-point stop, let me pull that stop into 15 points and then run that again and do a bunch of back testing again, whether it's manual or automatic. And if it still has a positive expectancy and or you ran it on that 20-point and you went and looked at what is the average MAE on my trades when I took this? And the average MAE on these trades might be 10 points. Well, that's going to tell you a lot of information. Well, if the average times that you take this trade or more times than not that you take this trade, your MAE is only 10 points and you're giving it a 20-point stop, those times that you take a full-point stop, you really need to go and take a close look at those ones as outliers and say, okay, well, how many times did I go to 19 points or something? It turned around and I got my full take profit. And there's, there's a, you know, this is kind of getting into a little bit deeper of analysis. Go there. You know, if those don't stand out, you know, as outliers, it would probably be pertinent to to move that stop in and then, you know, rerun that evaluation. And and this is a bit of a rabbit hole as you're doing that, but I think it's important work. And you can certainly start to tighten your strategy up a little bit. And again, as we talk about law of large numbers with backtesting, if you're going to take this trade 100, 200, 300 times over the course of several months, weeks, whatever it looks like, uh, saving yourself five points of, of heat is going to be very important when you're talking hundreds of trades versus when you're talking one trade. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, I, I think it's, it's just as important to go look at the outliers of like, okay, how many of these trades, let's say you had a, a hundred trade sample size and of those hundred trades, five of them needed to use that last 25% of your stop loss. Of those 25% or whatever, uh, of those 5%, sorry, of the 100 trades, how good did those perform? Like when, when I peeked into that area and I didn't hit my stop, like did I actually go to take profit one or did, did I get to take profit two or so on and so forth? And so, again, like I think it becomes a, an effort to sort of refine your strategy and then you have sort of like, what is the optimal bracket? What is the optimal sort of risk versus reward to this strategy? And then you have what is the actual, <laughs> like, right. how did I actually <laughs> perform, which I think is equally as important. And, and so I think that's, you know, where I would start with something like that. How do you get the subjectiveness out of your thesis? 
like that's one of the things I struggle with a lot is trying to to focus on like defining the setup as well as I can to the point where I'm taking me out as much as possible. I mean the math really. <laughs> I mean even like the trade idea itself. Like if I if you talk about trap sellers, like how do you define trap sellers? Like do you define all those things or is that still just kind of a feel for you? Yeah, I think that, I mean, obviously that's important too. Like you need to have a, a very, uh, at least for me, I need to have a very rigid set of rules because I'm not very good at following them. So if I don't have a very rigid set of rules, like I'm, I'm going to be like, oh, close enough. Like these guys are trapped. And so, you right. know, in that, right, like you would have sort of a range, right? Like this is the least amount of trap sellers that I would look for. So like in, in NQ, let's just say, for example, I want to see uh, in a five point spread, I want to see at least one point have a hundred uh, lots off sides, and I want to see net or cumulative in that five point spread uh, two hundred and fifty lots off sides, and that might be my minimum for me to take that trade. Mm-hmm. But then once I have that minimum for the trade, all of a sudden in that same five point spread, I might have seven hundred cumulative lots off sides, and I might have three hundred at one point. And now I have a, an A plus version of that setup and I have sort of like that B or C version of that setup. Mm. And I would look at it more of like, what is my minimum threshold? And then from that minimum threshold, then what are the nuances of some of the things that I've seen that make this minimum setup that has a positive expectancy, a really, really A plus setup. And, you know, that's where it gets into potentially leaning into those a little bit more and things like that. Like I would be more inclined to lean into uh, a multiple R trade into 700 trap cumulative traders than 250 cumulative and just like barely at at price, say like 105 or something like that. Kind of like increasing your bet at the blackjack table when the deck is rich. When the deck's hot, man. When when there's when there's been no aces, right? Like mm-hmm. you up your bet. It's the same exact concept of like you know counting cards. Like when when the count is high, you want to increase your bet. When the probabilities are higher, then you want to increase your bet. And I think knowing those probabilities for your specific setup is important. So there's, to your point, like there's defining the setup in the minimum requirements for me to enter the trade. And then there's like, hey, this this version of this is like the extreme A plus version. And, you know, whether or not you just enter it normally because that's just your comfort zone or, you know, in a, in a perfect world, you start to lean into those A plus setups with a little bit more strength, size or ads. Um, that's where you can start to really increase that average win for your real life expectancy of this trade. And that's where you can really start to skew those stats a little bit, because if if you always take this trade at the minimum expectancy of it at a one R, but when you recognize and perfectly execute on the A plus versions of those setups to say a two or three R, well now all of a sudden the bucket of this strategy in your real time expectancy of the times I've actually taken this trade, your average dollars one versus your average dollar loss, that stat will increase significantly. And when that increases significantly, then your win rate can actually decrease a little bit as well. So Mm. um, by actually taking your A plus setups with a little bit more strength and confidence, you can actually decrease the amount of times that you actually need to win on your sort of like B or C setups. And you can, again, like I think to your point, start to take this trade with more confidence, more frequently, and not necessarily worry about like uh, the emotions of it. It's just see it, hit it, go. Mm. Right. 
Yeah. One thing that I noticed, because after I listened to you before, in the Back to the Futures one, where you talked about having a setup and making it something that's definable and repeatable. So then I tried that and I got to 80 trades. And the cool thing was, by the time I got to 80 trades, I didn't even feel them. It was sim. And so that sounds kind of lighthearted. But there was a time where I would scratch sim trades out of fear. Mm, I remember that. Right? Like you were, you were tighter with your sim trades than you were your real trades. I was. And that's, I think, like the next level to that and probably one of the hardest parts of trading because creating a strategy, backtesting it, um, yeah, it's hard. I'm not going to try to simplify that. Like it's hard to find like a winning expectancy trade, but there's a shit ton of about there. Sorry to swear. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm not sorry. Fuck it. I'm not sorry. Uh, but like it, actually then putting the discretion on like watching an A plus trade turn into like, whoa, this like this is not the activity I normally see on an A plus trade. And then scratching that efficiently is probably one of the hardest things to do, like uh, versus just like I'm robotic. Here's my setup. See it, hit it and just take my stop loss. Well, yeah, okay, and that's going to have a positive expectancy over the long run because you have math to support that. But learning to like know when your good trades are turning into bad trades and then actually cutting it and not doing that so much that it's causing you negative expectancy is just as hard, I would say, if not harder than any of, of what we just talked about. So um, it, it's certainly one of the things that I try to do very little Um just because, you know, like those emotional kind of quick decisions is not one of my strengths. So I try not to lean into it, but it's definitely something that like when I see the like, whoa, like this should not be happening in this version of this trade that sometimes you just got to cut it. I had a couple of those today actually where um, I was just like, man, I I just don't love this. Or like if you get a bad fill, that's one of my favorite scratches. Oh yeah. Like if if I get a bad fill and, and I'm a like habitual market in guy, Mm-hmm. So if I get a bad fill on a market, I, like I'm super quick to take profit and or I'm going to really guard that entry um, and, and will be quick to scratch because like you're just already kind of like you're like kicking one of your legs out. Right. So like a bad fill is a version of a scratch that I would take more frequently. But like, again, like order flow or just like some of the things that you might see happening after you enter the trade that don't look like the normal version of your A plus version of this. Um, would you know it, it's hard that's the discretionary piece of it but there's some element to that that you do need to bring into the table for that you need forward testing too though right because you're not going to see that li- or back absolutely you do right and and that's where that real-time stats come in because it's one thing to like back test it and have it on paper and you're like hey look this equity curve should be up to the right but then when you actually go to the to the charts and try to execute this trade if you're not seeing those results, then you have to kind of come back and go, okay, like, like I scratched these 10 of a hundred trades, like what would have, what would have happened on these trades and, you know, kind of gauge whether or not you're implying a little bit of yourself and your emotions into this uh, versus just taking the math. And, you know, maybe your scratches aren't as good as you think they are. And, or uh, maybe you, you know, should be scratching a few that you did kind of thing. So that's where like the, the forward testing or like the real equity of the trade is just as important to monitor. And that's like, for me, that's like one of the only things that I, I, I pull up on a regular basis now is like, we're talking about an individual trade here, but then when you start mixing in 
multiple strategies and multiple setups that you look at, then how are you performing over like the whole bucket of those trades? Like I've got three to five setups that I look at every single day and I expect these to have an up to the right equity curve. But for some reason, like the equity curve is sort of sloping a little bit lower. Like that's where it's time to go do some more homework and decide like, where is this like dip in my equity curve coming from? If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. That's when you need to go look at your notes and see if there's any commonalities. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, the edge could be, uh, you know, depleting a little bit as well, too. Mm-hmm. I think for most of our setups, it's probably not the case. It's usually emotional and or like self-inflicted. But but it's important to to be able to look at, like, gauge that like back tested equity curve versus the front like forward testing and or like real life equity curve of like, how am I actually executing when I see this setup? That uh, makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. What I was alluding to earlier, whenever I was doing the forward testing, because I wasn't into back testing, I found that having a defined setup, which I've never really had before, I've had this guy from Discord's and this guy from Twitter's and this guy from this and this other one I saw on YouTube. And I have all of these guys different ideas that they execute and make money, but I would never follow that. But whenever I actually made one and tried to follow it, then it took away all of the like the fear and the anxiety. And it's just playing it out because there was never a worry that it wasn't going to work. Because that one that I developed, I would be profitable if I could repeat it consistently. But I found I couldn't, re- there was that, um, I found that I couldn't <laughs> repeat it consistently uh, over and over again. And so that one got backburnered and I'm trying another one now where I'm finding that I can do it more consistently and it's a little bit easier to draw the same line every single day. Well, that's part of that real equity. Right. I've got a great idea in, in theory on paper, but like when it comes to actually clicking the button, Uh, For whatever reason, you can't do that. And whatever that is, whether it's time of day, uh, you've got other work going on, uh, the kids are screaming because it's school time and it's an opening range trade, whatever it is, uh, you know, is causing you to not be able to execute on this back-tested plan to the expectancy that you should be getting and and you're underperforming. that's fine, right? Like you can move past the setup. So like to like to move past that setup, I think comes into the other realm of like, not every setup is for everybody. Like opening range breakouts are not for everybody. Trap traders are not from everybody. So supply and demand zones are not for everybody. And so you have to also find a setup that has one positive equity curve and two meets your personality somewhere where you can manage that. And, and, you know, like to your point, like, see it and hit it like where it becomes uh, a fearless trade when you see a b and c happen you can execute absolutely and that's exactly how it was even though it didn't turn out to be profitable in my mind as i was executing as i was executing it i was executing it as though it was another setup in a long line of setups that are going to come again and again, and I'm going to hit it every time. See, and that's a great feedback loop. Like, even though in this example, you're saying it wasn't a, it wasn't a good trade, you executed the trade well, you were able to pull in data from that trade, get a good feedback loop, and you were able to take it out of your process because it's not paying rent. Right. And my issue with that, that leads to the next question is, I forward tested it. And so it took me two months 
to get 80 trades. So now I need to figure out a good and efficient way to backtest. And we could probably do a four-hour podcast about how to backtest. <laughs> we could. But if you had if you had any hitters on how do you backtest when you don't run automation or when you are just going to look at a trading view chart or just look at your Sierra chart and not try and automate anything. What's is there any tricks to being more efficient doing that? I mean, efficient, uh, yes. The spreadsheets, like Kyle, uh, you shared a spreadsheet uh, recently that was amazing. Yep, Joel has his version. Uh, yeah. He, uh, I based it off of some of his stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so spreadsheet work is going to be the core of that, right? Like if, if you don't have some sort of like coding experience or the ability to automate and backtest like large sample sizes at once, um, you're going to just need to go back and, you know, replay charts and, you know, manually take these trades and log them. And then the other part that becomes challenging with that is when you start changing brackets and are you scaling out? Are you two to one? Are you three to one? Are you, you know, some scale version of an average of between two and three to one? And, you know, I think that's the challenging part, but that's the work that it takes and the dedication that it takes to find a trade setup that has positive expectancy. And obviously some easier than others, but, you know, as far as backtesting goes, I think the best thing to do is take one simple trade idea and one simple bracket and, you know, kind of just build it out. I think we all sort of know and intuitively, like, if I take this trade, like, is it just a, is it just going to slam? And, and it's like, you found some crazy alpha and it's 60% win rate. And like, you just like, every time you take this trade, it, it's, it's, you know, working well, you know, then you can maybe look at that trade and it's got a higher win rate, but uh, maybe that trade doesn't need to go three to one, four to one, five to one. Maybe it can just be like a one to one scalp and, and things like that. So I, I think there's just a lot of spreadsheet work that needs to happen on an individual setup, going back and looking at that and then refining whether or not this can be a scalp trade, a swing trade, like w what do you want it to be? And you, you kind of have to engineer those things, um, which I know doesn't like give you a simple answer, but put the work in. The simple answer is you got to put the work in. You, you have to put the, yeah, you, you have to put the work in and you have to, you have to go look at multiple versions of that trade. Like you might have uh, an ABC pattern that you see that sucks as a scalp trade, but like grossly profits as like some version of like a scale out trade with a wider stop loss and is like more of like a hybrid swing and or like an intraday type swing trade. And you're getting crushed on the thing trying to take a 10 point stop. But if you gave that thing 20 points and you waited to take profit on it for, you know, 60, 80 points, all of a sudden this thing, you know, is a 40% win rate and it's just printing. And so, you know, it, that's a piece of it too. Like just because the idea uh, is good doesn't mean that the way that you tried to form fit it into some sort of like comfortable bracket or take profit strategy is the right take profit strategy for that pattern. And so I think that's a, that, that's a mistake I think a lot of people make is that they'll identify a pattern in the markets that they see and then they won't apply the proper sort of like... Uh, strategy to make it profitable based upon a bunch of different versions of take profit strategy. Hmm. That's interesting. Very. So would you recommend starting like really wide then? Uh, because it seems like it should be a little easier to adjust that inward if it's profitable with a wider stop. Yeah, I think it depends on just sort of like the general thesis of the trade, but mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, like, if it's a momentum-based, like, high time frame trade, you probably want to start wide. If it's some sort of, like, footprint uh, absorption type trade, you know, you probably want to start a little bit tighter, like, at a one-to-one, and then see if you can create, like, a one-to-one bracket that works, Mm -hmm. and then see, like, okay, well this works, like what if I put it at like a one to, or a two to one? Or what if I give my stop loss a little bit more space? And again, I think that's where it's like, identify a pattern and then run it through a bunch of different like simple brackets. And then, you know, I mean, like it gets really complicated when you start talking about scaling and things like that. But, um, you know, the, the basis of what it would be like, do something like around a one-to-one, do something around a two-to-one, and then do something around like a version of a scale. If you think that like, hey, when I see this pattern in the back test, and then I see where like I would have taken profit and then it keeps running. Well, you know, I mean, there's there's a piece of the back testing where I think like you need to sort of track like what would have been my MFE if I wouldn't have taken profit where I took profit. Mm. And then, you know, that, that becomes again, like refining the strategy, right? So like you can certainly be taking profit too early too, just the same way that you could be taking a too wide of a stop and you might not need 20 points and you can tighten that into 10. Well, great. You tightened it into 10, but now you're still taking profit at 30, but most of these trades go to 50. And, you know, so there's a piece of that where I think you need to sort of like, uh, again, sort of like go into the lab, build some spreadsheets and, you know, potentially sort of track like, you know, where would I have potentially like momentum stopped out on this trade? And is that significantly further or not from where I actually took profit? I, I, got, I got a question to follow up on the, uh, the taking profits too early. One of the things that I think I would have a hard time with is if I was trying to take like a instead of a two to one, like I tried to push it to like four or five and the trade maybe had the expectancy to make that like more profitable. But I don't think my mentality could handle that if when I'm could be out at two R, but yeah, I'm just pushing for four and then it comes back and wipes out like just the loss of watching it get close and turn around on me is a tough one to handle. I mean, that's a huge piece of it too. Like, like, so I'm a scaler and And that's by design, right? Because the less trades I'm in, the less mistakes I can make. And I'm Mm -hmm. way more prone to make mistakes probably than the average trader. So if I'm, if I'm sitting with a bucket of say five strategies or five setups and those are all based on like a one to one or one to two, uh, two to one risk reward. And I'm taking now all of a sudden like 10 to 15 trades a day versus three. Uh, I'm I'm going to do much worse because again we're talking like on paper equity mm. curve versus actual equity curve. Like the actual decision making process that I'm going to put on paper is going to be much worse than what I th- in theory should do. And so I build a strategy that's based more upon scaling out and and you know I kind of call it earning the expectancy or earning the right to. Uh, see my runners go to this like peak expectancy of this trade thesis. And so I scale out two thirds of my position in somewhere between like a two to three R so that this trade idea uh, on two thirds of my position is going to pay me against my win rate enough where it's a positive expectancy curve. And then all of a sudden when my runners, these last thirds of my positions, they go to these like, uh, you know, further out levels of like, let's just call it like the, the true expectancy of my trade versus the like, just pay me mm-hmm. portion of the trade. Uh, 
those become week makers, month makers. And I'm more comfortable with my emotions doing something like that because now I'm sitting in runners and, and I've already bought the expectancy of these runners as in like they can go. And if they come back to break even, then, you know, say la vie, like uh, my first two thirds have already paid me, you know, somewhere between two to three R and on average with my win rate, I can do that. And every single set of my runners can come back to break even. And although that would be painful and I would probably change that strategy, um, I'm still going to, I'm still going to have an equity curve that goes up and to the right to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of the time uh, I'm able to see some of these trades go to that full peak expectancy. And again, like I, I call it kind of like earning the right to see the expectancy or, or sort of like, earning the ability to put that discretion on of like, hey, I'm really liking the way that I'm seeing buyers continue to step up and they're building volume and they're single printing and we're one-time framing. So, you know, this looks like a trend day. I'm going to let these runners continue to go, continue to go. And uh, that's where, again, like you come back to that, like increasing that math of your average winner versus your average loser and your win rate in your full bucket of setups. Um, and again, like for me, if I was if I was scalping, I would just be making a ton of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that's just me. Like, and there's scalpers out there that can be super robotic, and they can take high win rate, high hit rate uh, trades, and not make mistakes over say like 10, 20, 30 trades a day. And that's why they do that because that's mm-hmm. in that's in their wheelhouse. And so, like to your point, like if watching runners come back to break even is breaking my heart then I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing that. Like I should just be, I should be slamming, uh, you know, two or three to one trades all day and just calling it good or being all in all out versus scaling. And, you know, again, I think that comes back to like your point of like, you need to also weight these setups to like, what is the true ability of your, of yourself from emotions, from discipline, from all the things that factor into that to actually be able to execute to like what your idea was. Hmm. Right. Setups can work, but you might not be able to work it. hundred percent. hundred percent. That's absolutely where I'm at with my trading, by the way. Like my setups are <laughs> fine. It's managing my trades that fucks me every goddamn time. And most. And, and honestly, like, like, so I, I do runners, right? And, and I let these last thirds run and I'll have days where I'll just, I'll get, I'll hit TP1, I'll hit TP2, and then the last third will come back to break even. And then I'll hit TP1, I'll hit TP2, and the last third will come back to break even. And then the next time that happens, all of a sudden I'm changing my strategy because the emotions of having my runners, mm-hmm. which, you know, like at that point, like you, you're talking, you know, between like 50 and you know 100 points coming back in your face if not more um it's not fun right and no. and you start to change <laughs> you start to change what you do i'd shut down yeah and 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 obviously then the decision making process changes and your equity curve probably uh instead of steepening <laughs> uh, decreases and gets shallower and i i think that's a factor of it right like and that's a piece where you have to at the end of the day, go look at your real stats. Like, uh, you know, how did I perform on a day where uh, I'm scaling out and a bunch of my runners came back to break even? Mm-hmm. Like, did I did I continue to just follow my process or did I start taking profit early? Did I start, like, you know, again, to your point earlier, like, did I start scratching a bunch of trades? And uh, 
you know, I mean, that's where it, like trading is hard, right? Like it's not just a math problem. And there's certainly the version where you just do the math problem and you never change it. And you don't worry about scaling. You don't worry. Like you just do it exactly as you drew it up and you just let it play out always and forever. And, you know, the law of large numbers takes place, but you know, we're humans, right? And we start to make mistakes in between that. And I think that's where you need to be honest with yourself. Like you have to go look at your stats and be honest with yourself about like whether or not this strategy makes sense for you or if, you know, maybe you're a scalper or maybe you should just be all in all out versus scaling and all the different things in between. Mm -hmm. And it's all a matter of putting in the time to know what works. If you're going to rush it, you're going to run into troubles. I mean, you got to look in the mirror too. Absolutely. Like you just got, you got to be honest with yourself about it. And and, uh, if, if it's frustrating you to, have runners come back to break even, or if it's frustrating you that, you know, you were up X and now you're, you know, this trade was only, you know, Y expectancy or whatever, like, then you shouldn't be doing that. Like if it's affecting your actual decision-making process, then you shouldn't be doing it. And you should find something that you can, to your point earlier, like confidently execute every single time. Um, And that's why brackets for me, like is is a big thing and and similar to scratching like there's sometimes where I'll move brackets like i i have very set take profits in nq where like i just know that like i want to be scaling at these spots but there's some times where i'll get into a trade and i'll see, i'll see some things on the order flow or just like the activity or impulsive action that i'll start to like if i can because sometimes it's too fast like i'll try to move or cancel these orders on my original brackets, because if you see something again, like that pattern recognition, that sort of like takes maybe a B setup to an A setup all of a sudden, because there's a bunch of people stepping in, like you should at some juncture be able to sort of come in and be like, Hey, this, well, this might be turning into an A plus trade. Um, I need to like pull, take profit one or take profit two, or maybe you're scaling less and, and all the kind of things that you can do to, to see more expectancy. But Mm-hmm. You know, like, like again, like that's that's the challenge of trading. Like, there's the robotic version of like I have a setup and it works to this, you know, this take profit, blah blah blah. And then there's like, uh, hey, this setup is good, and boom, this is like the A plus version. I'm going to sort of like do something different in this specific version of what I'm seeing in the market right now. But in order to start introducing the discretionary, you have to get to the point where you can do the robotic, I think, first, right? Oh, you have to. Yeah, you have to. You have to have something that is already see it, hit it, is already in your comfort zone, already has a positive expectancy, and then start adding discretion. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think I've missed that first part for a year and a half. Oh, no. Having something that is absolutely uh, discretionary and that is just see it, hit it. What are you working on now, Joel? My setup right now? Yeah. I don't know what it's called. I'm calling it a version of the line in sand trade. It is kind of based off of, it was based off of Delta until yesterday. <laughs> I found that <laughs> when I was oh, chatting geez. with Kyle, we, def- we defined what I'm going to call a swing high and a swing low. And how it, if it breaks, if the high breaks a new high, then we're going to call that other one a swing low and I'm going to put my line where it goes relative to that swing low. And if it doesn't set a new high, if it sets a lower high, then I'm not going to use it. And so that's already made a huge difference because it was turning into a, I got to decide 
once I get to decide, eh, could be a line. Now I've taken out that repeatability. And I, what's funny is my old setup, I did 80 trades. Mm-hmm. And it was after 80 trades that I realized I'm actually not repeating the exact same thing. I have no trades on this and I already caught that. I won't be able to repeat this. So I need to define that. And so we did that. I worked with Kyle the one morning. That was yesterday, I think, wasn't it? Was it yesterday? Yeah, it might have been. Or was it today? It was yesterday or today. I think it we was yesterday. We worked on that. And this morning, yep, that's a line. Yep, that's a line. Nope, not quite. And it it becomes to the point where you can repeat it. And once you can repeat it, then you can have confidence in it because you've watched what you've repeated again and again work. And when you do it and it works and you do it and it works and you do it and it works, then when it comes time to click the button, you can have confidence it'll work. They probably won't all work, but you'll have the confidence that you can click the button because it's going to work. It's a great point about the repeatability that just kind of clicked in my head because we keep talking about pattern recognition, but if your setup isn't repeatable, if you can't draw the same line, then you'll never get the pattern recognition to recognize it in the moment. Right? It's such a huge piece. Exactly. Like it's it's so big. Like and you know, I've, I think I've said this on on some of the other pods here is like you draw the same line every day. And honestly, it doesn't even matter. Like we're all really good at finding levels. We're all we all have a way whether it's market profile or volume profile or delta or it doesn't even matter. Supply supply demand zones. Like draw a line on your chart but do it in a repeatable way so that you can understand what the nuance is and then you can sort of execute on that nuance. Like if every day you're wish-washy about like oh today I'm market profile and then tomorrow I'm trap traders and blah blah blah, blah. like it, yeah, you can have a bucket of a bunch of different strategies and that's fine. But like, if you're changing what that one particular strategy looks like, you're going to be in for a world of hurt because you're going to be mixing in so much discretion. And I know very few people that are just like true feel, feel traders that are successful. Like it's such a hard thing to do to just be like a true feel trader. So you need to have some version of repeatability in that. And I think that comes from, to your point, like drawing the same line on your chart every single day, whatever that version of that line looks like. It's funny. It all kind of just boils down to a line on a chart, doesn't it? Sure does. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah. And are you going to buy it or are you going to sell it? Oh, There's a line and the line means you do something. What are you going to do? What else you got for us, Joel? Let's talk about the OFL tools for a little bit. I've got Flurry's ear. I don't have those tools, I may as well ask them. Go for it. So I can see from all the people who use them and watching all of your Wednesday webinars, which have been, I'm not getting the alerts anymore or something. Hmm? So the OFL tools, I'll one day use them, but for someone who doesn't have them yet, or if it's not a fit for them, what other things could they use say for the execution portion? What sort of thing could you watch for? Yeah, I mean, so... You know, from an OFL tools perspective, obviously we're automating some of the setups that we've defined uh, from an execution perspective. So we have structural tools that are just putting clear lines on your chart. We have execution tools that are giving you sort of signals that there's buyers or sellers uh, in confluence to your trade thesis. But if you don't have those, um, at the end of the day, the way OFL was created was a bunch of traders coming together, sharing setups that they were doing manually on charts and then automating. 
um, some of those setups obviously much easier to um, identify visually versus like the the math that's happening behind the scenes in some of the LFL tools. But you know, I think a great place to start is the bid ask footprint or a delta footprint chart um, to watch the order flow. Uh, watching uh, the like Sierra would call it the numbers bar calculated value. So like watching things like the volume per second or the delta per candle, uh, volume per candle, and some some of those things like that, and you can start to develop setups that you see from pattern recognition from just turning on sort of all of these features that are part of like typical order flow. Uh, centric uh, platforms, you know, so Ninja Trader, Motive Wave, and Sierra all do this pretty well. So, you know, easier said than done, right? Like, great, uh, <laughs> you've got a you've got a bit ass footprint. Like, what can you do, right? But you know, there's like there's some very simple trades out there that that exist that you can see. Like, if you put a bit ass footprint on um, in NQ, uh, we have a trade that is not automated that that we call Tots. Uh, and everyone will start spamming, uh, start spamming the chat in the OFL Discord <laughs> with like the <laughs> tater tots. Yeah, with the with the tots uh, and the Napoleon Dynamite and all that good stuff. But yeah. um, tots is taper over time, and so TOT taper over time. So if you see uh, like the the bid ask footprint come down to a price and. Uh, it stops and the sellers were selling into the bid and let's say they sold 40 lots and it, and it stops and it pops back up. And the next time it comes back to the same price and it stops, but they sold 10 lots. So now there's taper. They were, they sold 40 into a price. And then the next time they came back to the same price, they only sold 10. Well, let's say it pops up again. And the third time it comes back and now you see true taper and they only sell one lot into that price. So you went from 40 to, you know, 30 or something like that to one that's taper over time. And so you're looking at the footprint and you can see this, like it's clear absorption, right? Like somebody sitting there absorbing that first 30 lots, they absorb the second, you know, 20 lots or whatever it is. And then the next time the sellers come down, they don't even try, right? Like they only sell one into that price. Well, now the aggressive seller is gone and you can, you know, potentially take that for a scalp. So my point is, is that there's some like very clear observational things that you can do without automated studies, such as some of the things that Orderful Labs has that you can identify. I think that's obviously the strength of some of the things that we do at Orderful Labs is that we automate some of those things um, or, or some specific settings uh, and, and setups that, that we track. But at the end of the day, like it, it comes back to that, like you have to put in time. Like if, if you're looking for order flow setups, like you're going to have to study the DOM. You're going to have to study the time and sales. You're going to have to study a bid S footprint. You're going to have to study a Delta footprint. Like that's just some things that you're going to have to study um, to be able to identify those things. But at the end of the day, like a, a company like order flow labs was developed from a bunch of traders doing these things manually that had the assistance of coders who are able to code some of these setups and automate them. And so they're all available to track. I think the challenge as sort of like a retail trader is how do you not miss them, right? right? And I think that's like, again, the benefit of Order for Labs is that like you don't miss them because they're automated. Like you don't miss the fact that there's 700 trap traders at this price because 
we identified that for you. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't manually identify them on, on any of these charts. Uh, you know, the session Delta pivots, uh, there's, there's YouTube videos floating around there somewhere that tell you exactly how to, how to track these levels. Like you can create these levels. It's all done from charts naked. It's just, uh, we've we've made the ability to not miss any of those setups or to not miss any of the levels or to not miscalculate them, uh, not a factor. And so, you know, again, I think that's like sort of one, the benefit of Orpha Labs and two, sort of like to answer your question, it, you can do all of this stuff with with sort of charts yourself. It's just a matter of consistency and accuracy with actually one, seeing all the trades and two, properly identifying them. Who is the right. person that benefits the most from the Overflow Labs toolkit? Like, who is the ideal trader that you guys market to? I think it's a mix. Um, so the experienced trader that has, uh, you know, levels of interest and a process that's already clearly defined comes in and they find uh, a confluence to some of the other areas of interest that we provide. And then execution ability from some of the tools that we do from an execution perspective in their areas of interest. Mm -hmm. And then you have sort of the new trader that, doesn't sort of have a firm understanding of what a bit S footprint looks like, what some of these setups look like that can start to, with good homework, realize like, hey, when I see this study fire in this price and I'm watching it actually fire on a footprint chart, they can start to recognize what some of that looks like. And I think like in a perfect world, like our ideal member learns what these setups look like and how to identify them. And in most cases, they would probably never miss them. But the simplicity of A, having these levels automatically put on your charts every day and the time that it saves, and B, the consistency of never missing a setup across multiple markets mm -hmm. um, makes it so that like in the long run, it's such a, an extreme value that between your time and the uh, just the ability to monitor multiple markets at once uh, far outweighs like any cost from a monthly perspective that OFL would ever charge. It's like getting Flurry to draw on your charts for you. I mean, in a way, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea. There, I mean, this week's. I, I mean, it's it's CPI print, but like you go into our Discord, which you know I think most of you guys have access to. But you go into our Discord, we have a trade setup that was posted on Sunday that was a seven hundred point trade. That yeah, CPI like went in, insane, and it was a nine hundred point day. But that trade resolved in in. You know, I mean, the course of a few hours and it was put in chat on Sunday. Is that the Friday fade? Uh, it was the Friday fade. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So the Friday fade hit. And, and, you know, again, like it's some of that pattern recognition stuff that that we automate that you just might miss. Right. Like you just mm. and, and yeah, right. you might see it in NQ, but you miss it in ES or you missed it in RTY. Or you didn't see it in copper. Or you didn't see it in, in CL or whatever it is. Um, and, and the confluence across all these markets, right? So, you know, for me, it's like, um, even without, you know, the fact that we have Orderflow Labs, having these studies automated, which is how it started, right? Like, uh, having these things automated was just desk time. Like, you're saving just uh, so much desk time. And when, you know, you start to value your time, uh, you know, at, at, a, at a dollar amount that 
you know, is significant. Like if, if all of a sudden the same process that you're doing manually took you, you know, two hours and it takes you 15 minutes now, like that, that becomes pretty significant. So mm-hmm. again, that's my order for labs, uh, whatever promo, but. <laughs> or if you only have limited time to trade, you don't have to spend the whole time building out all of that stuff. It's already built out. You just have to execute it according right. to what fits with what you've got. Or if you have no strategies, right? Like, I mean, let's be honest, like some people come in and they don't have a strategy and, right? you know, like, I'm not saying that everything that we do is gold by any means, but at the very least, maybe it sparks the idea. And I think like, that's like the best thing I love to see from our members is Mm -hmm. like one of our studies is the genesis for an idea of somebody who then shares that with chat that generated another idea and they generated a new trade up set a trade setup from that that they're really finding a lot of uh you know profitability in and so um there's a big piece of that too where it's like it, you know you talked about confidence earlier like it just helps instill that confidence in in some people where like they didn't quite understand uh, some of the nuances of order flow and again not like we've solved order flow in any way shape or form but I think like by turning it into shapes and colors and obviously educating about why some of these things are doing what they're doing, it makes it a little bit easier for you to sort of like generally understand what absorption looks like, what initiation looks like, what trap traders look like, what is Delta? Like why, why is a level of high Delta significant later on, you know, three days later, a week later, a month later at an area where they continue to put in like high Delta and some, some things like that. But speaking of Delta, I know there's a, there's been a lot of calls to, to do another back to the futures with just focusing on Delta footprint or just Delta in general. I, I may or may not have started that. <laughs> yeah, I was ex- actually expecting you to just dive into that now and try to get another hour out of him. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I lean, I lean heavily into Delta, like absolutely, um, especially historical Delta. Um, watching where large market participants who have the ability to put in, you know, the quote unquote, like high Delta of a session or of the time that we're monitoring, uh, watching them repeatedly put in Delta in the same general price area is probably some of the strongest alpha that I track on a daily basis. Hmm. Uh, when, when you see over, say, the course of, say, like four weeks, one price or like, say, an NQ, like a range of, say, like 20 or 30 points, multiple times market participants that are able to put in sort of that big print, um, do it in the same location, you better believe that level is going to get a reaction. And so when you start to put that sort of confluence on some of the other work, like, you know, LVNs, HVNs, um, you know, supply demand zones and all the things that we look at, it just, again, adds like such a big level of confluence that mm-hmm. um, historical Delta is just a big part of what I do. Oh, man, right. sounds like we have to do that episode. Yep, you got to do it now. <laughs> oh, you boys know I'm game. Let's go. Yeah. I got this yeah. new mic. Let's go. <laughs> you could call it Back to the Back to the Futures. <laughs> yeah. Revenge, Revenge of the, of the Delta. Revenge of the Biff Lords. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, I so, Joel, I got, a, I got a question for you before you guys end it, because I know we've been going for a little bit. Um, you obviously have been, you know, tracking some of what Orderful Labs is doing. 
Um, you've been working uh, with the team, you've been building a process, you've been diligent on that. Like, do you think it would be a benefit to you to see some of these tools or like as somebody who doesn't have them right now, um, you know, like what, what is sort of your gauge of that from your process perspective? Like, like, do you think it's, it's less is more like as somebody who doesn't have them and is thinking about it, like, what is your true read of that? I think my thing for them is that if I'm going to follow through with them, then I need to have something tangible that if I don't want to lean on order flow labs, I want to learn how to trade and I want order flow labs to be able to take me from this level to the next level. And so I think if I just lean on order flow labs to start out with, then I might get there eventually, but I won't have got there on my own, which is okay. I mean, you guys have brought me this far. I've known you from long before order flow labs. Mm -hmm. But I think I wanted to augment. Is augment the word? Augment what I've done. You want to learn how to fish before you get a fancy fishing pole is what it sounds like. Exactly. I I want to be able to trade and then I want order flow labs. As soon as I step in there, it immediately increases all those things those little things that i can already do yeah it's perfect a multiplier to what you're already doing that was the answer i was looking for so let's like when you're ready let's do it yeah i mean if you would have said like it's you know whatever like i need it blah 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 like that's that's not what we're looking for like we want somebody that thinks it's going to be a compliment to their system so um exactly you know like i I said it earlier i appreciate your guys's diligence to the morning plans things like that so I don't know what platform you're on it, uh, but I'm assuming it's either Sierra or Ninja or Motive. So when you're ready, you let me know. Uh, we'll get you set up with Orderful Labs uh, with the rest of the Two Bulls team. And, oh, uh, shit. We'll, we'll make Are sure that when it's right, we'll make sure that you've, you've got access to the tools. Um, and my ask is then we do a follow-up to this, right? So you're working on setups and you're doing some of the stuff. So I would love to hear how it's a compliment to your stuff. And again, not to like pump order for labs. I like, honestly, it doesn't matter. Um, but if, if you think it would be a benefit to you, I want to make sure that you have access. Flurry. You're amazing. Yeah, let's uh, do it, man. Let's do it. Uh, I, I, like the dedication. Like, I like the dedication. Even... Listen, I, I, yeah. I, I come from the kitchen and uh, like, it's, it's a school of hard knocks there. Yeah. And I appreciate the way that you guys like the effort and the, and the work that you put in. That's why I love coming on this pod. That's why I love spending time with you guys. Cause you guys, you do the work to continue to be better. And I love the grassroots approach that you guys come from. And Joel, I see the efforts that you guys put in, uh, specifically you in that room. So, you know, again, um, when you're ready, mm-hmm. if you think that that's going to be a compliment to your strategy, um, I'd love to give you access to the tools. And, uh, you know, again, continue this conversation of what does that look like? Like, how do you uh, continue to develop these setups? And, you know, maybe it's a Back to the Futures version 2.0 or whatever that looks like. But, you know, again, I, I just appreciate the uh, the efforts that you guys are putting in and the dedication to this craft. Because let's be honest, man, this shit is not easy. It's fucking no. hard, man. This yeah. is the hardest yeah. thing I have ever done in my life. Fuck, man. It's just like some days you get your just teeth kicked in. It's so tough. Like, Why does nobody warn you? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I literally, like, it's like I, w- I bought a house on Lake Minnetonka already. Like, I was, like, already planning the Ferrari color. And then mm-hmm. you go and you trade and you're like, shit, this is, like, 
this is super difficult. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've done a lot of things in my life. This is definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. Hundred percent. And I yeah. and I have the utmost respect. I don't care if you're sim trading, if you're trading micros, if you've got a hundred lots on the bid or the offer. If you're in there every day and you're giving it your all, I have the utmost respect for anybody who shows up every single day, especially those that show up after they just get their absolute ass kicked. So, you know, let's just continue this. We yeah. want the world to be right, too. You have enough <laughs> idiots on Reddit making millions off of, you know, all or nothing stupid YOLO plays. Oh, yeah, YOLO, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But let's, Absolutely. See the, let's see the hard work get, so get ahead. Yeah. Hell yeah. I was, I'm testing Dan's editing here again. I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for that, Joel. You're welcome. <laughs> Please delete that whole song we sung. Oh, no, Joel, I'm just going to bleep the hell out of you, and it's gonna, you're going to sound like the filthiest fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in the kingdom on those Sunday night like webinars that you would do. Oh, bleep that. <laughs> that's how long I've been around. Oh, wow. That's how long. I, yeah, that's how long. Been, I was in there with boop. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Well, no, I appreciate yeah. that, man. And I think, again, like that goes back to, like, listen, Ask smart people smart questions, and I'm not saying that I'm one of those smart people, but I'll say it. I, I'm a firm believer, and there's a bunch of people who have paved the way. And if you think you know it all, you are so far behind this thing. Um, there's tons of alpha in, uh, like, even the the idiots on Twitter and the trolls and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I mean, if 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 you can find a little tidbit in what everybody has, and if it has an effect, if it pays rent, if it doesn't, whatever. But having the ability to um, come to the table, learn every day, step up, uh, decide whether or not something comes into your process and like join a conversation like this and be analytical about like, you know, whether or not you're profitable or not profitable or, uh, you know, just like being part of this process that is training is such a huge piece, man. And I just like the utmost respect for what you guys are doing here at two bulls, Joel, for you joining this thing. And you know, this thing is not easy, man. So, you know, we're in this together. That's what flurry means. Flurry is Haitian Creole for flourish. So, Oh really? Yeah. In, in the kitchen in Haiti, we say Anut flurry, which means together we flourish. And that's like, that's just at the core of it, right? Like it, this is a, as if that's your name. How did that work out? <laughs> it is, right? I knew Flurry, right? So together we flourish. Like, that's what this thing is. And that's why I love joining these kind of things and, and just sharing with you guys. And hell yeah. Trust me, there's so many mentors and friends uh, that I have in this that, that aid to my success uh, every single day and, and my failures, man. When I get my absolute teeth kicked in, uh, to have a few people to lean into and, and to share that with and just be honest mm -hmm. and, and, you know, raw with is just so important. So I appreciate you guys. Oh, no problem. Yeah. We, we all know our wives and girlfriends get tired of hearing. Oh yeah. About stock market. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Flurry, thank you. I mean, we're super grateful for you to, uh, joining us for this inaugural episode of, should we do the theme song again? No, 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 
Oh, this has been fantastic. I've uh, really had a great time with you guys here tonight. Thank, thank you, Joel, and thank you, Flary. Both of you guys coming here to join us for this has been so amazing. When you find a good, honest, successful trader, who's yeah, a lot of them tend to be willing to share. So, I mean, if there's somebody out there you look up to, man, reach out to them because, as we've proven, uh, it's pretty pretty easy to get these guys to talk to you. I like it. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get some of the buddies to uh, jump in on the next one here. I might ask them some questions, but uh, yeah. I don't know who's up for episode two. But uh, if you guys need a few suggestions, I'll I'll, I'll get you hooked up for for the newbie or for the experienced. Uh, for both, I guess, but, uh, uh experienced, you know, I, I've got a handful of guys that have a lot of, uh, impact on, on my trading that I think would love to just come on and share. I, I like this format. Well, I think we want to talk to them one way or the other anyway. Yeah. Can you imagine if you had it set up where Flurry was the newbie? Yeah. That's what I was actually just thinking he was going with that. I was like, yeah, let's get his mentor on here and hear the questions he asks. <laughs> Oh, dude. Okay. Like, do you want my, do you want my list for like, if I'm a newbie? Oh, geez. Okay. So, uh, you got to get long T plex on here. That would be like the ultimate. Like if you got, if you got, uh, Laban on here and I could just ask my newbie questions. So Laban, that would be a huge one. God, who else? Um, I'm adding gasps after every name he says. Gasp. <gasps> oh, man. Um, <laughs> Macro Tactical, he's been like one of the most influential traders in in my career as far as like confidence. Like he would be a big one as well. Man, there's just so many. Like Bootsy, like some <gasps> of these guys that like you just see some of the, oh, geez. Well, oh, the gas. No. Like there's, there's just so many guys. And even in the crypto space too. I know you guys have some crypto channels too, but like some of these guys in the crypto space and some of the, uh, some of the setups that they taught me back in the day from a price action perspective. But yeah, man, I would love to sign me up for a newbie session and I'll see if I can get one of my, uh, like inspirations of trading on. I, I'm all game for that. We might have to do these more often than once a month. <laughs> I might have to stay more sober if, I, if I'm the newbie. <laughs> <laughs> Only on days that start with T. There's a three drink minimum on the round tables. Come on now. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's where we cut it off. Let's be respectable here, guys. Three whiskeys. Uh, let's be honest. It's not a it's not a round table. It's a lazy Susan. We just spin, <laughs> spin the drinks around. <laughs> oh. Oh. All right. Well, gentlemen, this has been amazing. Uh, we do gotta end it here, else while well, I'll be editing for hours and hours and hours. Oh, damn! Before you end. Before you end. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh wait, that's a different gag. <laughs> no, but if you do wanna if you do wanna sign up or reach out to us to be on the next one, uh just drop us a message at two bulls at financialineptitude.com or you can just DM one of us on the Discord. Please include a two page essay on why you're worthy. Yep. And uh we'll be sure to grade them on grammar structure, content, and execution. Mine was two and a half pages. Also helps if you have your account number. <laughs> yeah. also, also money. Money doesn't doesn't hurt. Uh, yeah, yeah, reach out. That's that's fantastic. These, these, yeah, we're gonna have a lot more of these, Kyle. These, oh, yes. great. A lot more of these. Uh but for now, folks, thanks for sticking around to the end. We hope you had a good time. We hope you I know you learned something if you paid attention. That's just a fact. Unless you're one of Flary's mentors, in which case, well, you know. 
Thanks for learning. You listening. learn what, what Flurry needs to work on. <laughs> yeah, what right. you taught me. <laughs> what I need to do more work on. <laughs> he doesn't fucking listen. Oh, God damn Why is he still talking about letting runners run? God. <laughs> times I got to tell him. He's got to take profit. He knows that. <laughs> Uh, fantastic, fantastic. All right, folks, we are going to uh, shut down for the night. Until next time, happy trades. Longest ending ever. <laughs> two bulls, two bulls, round table. It's good stuff, guys. Oh, God, that is going to be the theme, isn't it? Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.